Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 9th of May, 2022. This is episode 586 of Bitcoin and fear level, it goes to 11. If you know what I'm referencing, then you are both a watcher of really good rock and roll spoof documentaries and what's going on with Bitcoin, right? Yeah, it's been an ugly, ugly, ugly six weeks. Six red weak candles in a row first time in eight years should you be scared no not really (laughs) i mean unless you were good unless you were literally planning and and everything you were banking everything on dying tomorrow and before you do that cashing out because if you didn't do that you would literally die hours earlier which is just freaking ludicrous right so dude y'all chill out everybody needs to chill However, while we look at this price dump, uh, it is probably a good idea to figure out what the hell could possibly be going on. I have a theory, and it begins with the Luna Foundation. Now, as you might, you know, as you might be screaming, please don't talk about shit coins, but Luna is a special case, not because it's not a shit coin, it is. The entire thing is fucking stupid, but they physically possess a lot of Bitcoin. And that is cause for, well, not even really concern. Bitcoin is for enemies. And if you can't understand that, then sell all your Bitcoin and run for the exits. Literally do it now because <clears throat> you will not survive what's coming. If you think a bunch of shitcoiners owning Bitcoin is, is like cause for alarm and concern and you're going to like, you know, shit the bed because of it, you might as well go ahead and get out. Because enemies are going to be buying Bitcoin. That's just the way that this works. So let's try to piece what's going on with Luna. Because they've got a lot of Bitcoin. Okay, They've been buying it and buying it and buying it. And this is the only shitcoin that I've been talking about. Only because of the amount of Bitcoin that they hold. I don't really... Under Like with most of this bullshit. I don't really understand what Luna's trying to do. something to do with pegging and burning and minting. And if you're short this, you go along this. It's all, it just sounds like a bunch of, like a yield farming 2.0 to me. It's just, it seems very stupid. But because of the amount of Bitcoin that they do have, it's worth, this shit is worth noting. So let's do it. Liam Kelly writing for Decrypt.co. Luna Foundation Guard loans $1.5 billion in Bitcoin UST to protect stablecoin. Drastic times call for drastic measures. And today, the Luna Foundation Guard, a nonprofit supporting all things Terra, which is also the Luna token, has voted to lend $1.5 billion in crypto oh, to protect its native stablecoin. The organization's council voted to lend out $750 million in Bitcoin from its reserves and $750 million in Terra USD or their UST coin to keep the latter asset pegged to $1. <clears throat> That's a lot of money to keep that peg, guys. The organization made the loan to an unnamed professional market maker, according to the founder and CEO of Terraform Labs, Du Quan. The loan has been made in light of UST briefly falling below its dollar peg amid extreme volatility in the crypto markets. On Saturday, the stablecoin fell as low as 0.985 United States dollars. Today, it's trading at about 0.995 United States dollars. These aren't extreme fluctuations, but they aren't ideal for a stablecoin. 
Thus, the lent capital would be used to buy UST if the asset continues to fall below its peg and sell UST and buy Bitcoin if the asset is greater than or equal to its peg. It is expected that the resulting UST buy pressure would push the stablecoin back towards $1. Conversely, the resulting sell pressure would have the opposite effect in case the token is trading above $1. Terra's native UST stablecoin is a unique offering on the market. No, it's not. Unlike more traditional stablecoins like Tether's USDT and Circle's USDC, UST is decentralized and algorithmic. It's decentralized in that the token isn't maintained by a centralized entity or backed by centralized assets, be it cash, bonds, equities, or otherwise. Instead, UST maintains its stability through a mint and burn mechanism using the ecosystem staking and governance token Luna. And here's how it works. The mechanism lets people redeem one UST no matter the price of that UST for $1 worth of Luna. Each time that swap is made, the UST in question is destroyed or in crypto speak, burnt and removed from circulation. Thus, whenever one UST doesn't equal $1, arbitragers may quickly swap the UST for the $1 in Luna, selling the Luna and turning a small profit. This also makes UST more scarce and theoretically lifts its price back to the peg. Additionally, buying UST to take advantage of this trade adds buy pressure, which has a similar effect on raising the price. The mechanism, however, came under immense pressure as users began selling UST in mass in exchange for other stable coins on the decentralized exchange Curve Finance as well as Binance. At least one report indicates that a single address sold 85 million UST for 84.5 USDC on Curve. I think what they meant to say was sold 85 million UST for 84.5 million USDC on Curve, but they actually just say 84.5, so uh, I think it's just a typo. Okay, <clears throat> so that sort of leads us into what comes next, which is another thing about Luna, okay? Look, again, I get it, shitcoin. Yeah, I understand it, dude, but they hold a lot of Bitcoin, Cointelegraph, Yashu, Gola. Luna drops 20% in a day as whale dumps Terra UST stablecoin. All right, Terra has plunged significantly after witnessing a FUD attack, fear, uncertainty, and doubt on its native stablecoin Terra UST or Terra USD, which is the UST. The Luna USD pair dropped 20% between May 7th and May 8th, hitting $61, its worst level in three months, after a whale mass dumped $285 million worth of UST. As a result of the sell-off, UST briefly lost its United States dollar peg, follow, falling as low to $0.98. Cents. Luna serves as a collateral asset to maintain UST's dollar peg, according to Terra's elastic monetary policy. Therefore, when the value of UST is above a dollar, the Terra protocol incentivizes users to burn Luna and mint UST, and then it goes the other way. <clears throat> Therefore, during UST supply reduction, Luna's valuation should decrease. Similarly, when UST's supply expands, Luna's value increases, noted Will Combs, a researcher at Masari. The chart below shows an ongoing downward trend in the daily UST supply, coinciding with a relative increase in daily Luna supply. And on May 8th, UST's market underwent contraction for the first time in two months, dropping by 28.1 million below zero. Simultaneously, Luna supply expanded by over 436.75 million above zero. The excessive daily supply against what appears to be a lowering or stable market demand may have pushed Luna's price lower. Terra's ongoing price decline prompted Luna to retest a support confluence consisting of its 50-day exponential moving average near $56 and a multi-month upward sloping trend line. Interestingly enough, the ascending trend line constitutes a rising wedge pattern in conjugation with other upward trending lines above. 
Rising wedges are bearish reversal setups, so their occurrence on Terra's weekly chart suggests more downside is probable. As a rule of technical analysis, a rising wedge breakdown pushes the price lower by as much as the maximum distance between the structure's upper and lower trend lines. Thus, if Luna breaks below its wedge from its current support confluence accompanied by an increase in volumes, its price would risk falling to around $22.50, down over 60% from today's price. Conversely, a rebound from the support would have Luna positioned for a run-up toward the wedge's upper trend line of above $130, which is a new record high. Good luck for you. I don't think you're going to fucking make it. Now, so... Again, why go into any of this? Well, it's because of the amount of Bitcoin that they hold. You're talking about, you know, hundreds of thousands of Bitcoin that they were buying like mad banshees over the last few months. And when it started really, when they they really started pulling the trigger on those uh, Bitcoin buys, it was when it hit the news, people started going, what the fuck? That like, I had never even heard of Luna until they started pulling the trigger on larger and larger buys. And then their name basically got into the news and kind of stayed into the news. And now they're still in the news. I think it's possible that this Luna foundation guard and all things Luna is partly to blame for the price decrease in what's going on. I, I don't think this is... I don't think what's going on in crypto right now is any more than a bunch of people who are trying to fuck the system to get rich. And because there's so many different ways, there's so many different people that now have exposure directly to Bitcoin, they can use Bitcoin itself and its price and its price manipulation to leverage pain on these other systems. So the question becomes, are the people doing this bad actors in the space in the short term i can't see any reason why to say anything but yeah fuck them hope they die but we you know we're we always end up in a situation where we get so tired of the nfts and the icos and the shit coins and the altcoins and all the coins and the fucking now it's like a stable coin madhouse out there <clears throat> that what i would hope is true is that the people that are doing this are actually trying to flush the shit out of the system but therein lies a real problem let's say that their hearts are purely gold and they're doing this for the greater good the fact that they can is a problem and they can because of the greed inherent in the human species when bitcoin happened Everybody under the sun ICO'd and altcoined, and now it's NFTs and fucking stable coins and all this absolute, utter, pure mountain of garbage. And because of that, we're looking square in the face of a real bear market. Because I think we just, ent- I think we we've just entered one again. You know, do not be sad. Do not let your hearts be saddened by what I say. We've been here before. And if you haven't been here before, buckle up. Because it becomes a very, very interesting ride. You say, oh, I can hold through anything. Yeah, well, you say that until that anything actually occurs. And here we are again. For all the, you know, the old listeners, congratulations for yet again, not finding the tallest building and jumping straight the fuck off that thing. Right? Congratulations for blinking through it one more time because we're here again. And I do I have a price prediction? No, I don't do I don't do TA. I'm I I I leave that kind of shit to people who really really believe that TA works all the time. TA gets in my opinion TA gets lucky every once in a while. You know, just like a 6-year-old being able to nail a, you know, a bullseye at a game of darts every once in a while, but in my opinion, I just, I've seen so many predictions just fall flat on their face that I don't even try anymore. I, I was going to try to learn it, but I'm like, nah, it's just a waste of my freaking time. But going back to the Luna thing, it should be noted that the only reason to watch this entire uh, bloodbath play out is to ask yourself the question, 
is has Luna opened a door to be able to not allow price manipulation because anybody can manipulate the price. Now that we have six fucking futures ETFs online, we'll get to that in a moment. But is there, did it open up something in like, did it open up something where it's like, uh, external game theory can put pressure on Bitcoin and these guys are doing it out of, you know, simple greed or are they doing it out of love in their hearts? Or is it possible that they may be going both ways and getting, you know, getting rich as shit while flushing the crap down the toilet? So I do hope that it flushes the shit down the toilet. But just because a whole bunch of shit gets flushed down the toilet doesn't mean that the pipes don't back up and come right back up into your toilet. Because it's like if we flush, let's say we flush 50% of the crap out of the system, guess what happens? More people are going to come online with their bullshit shit, shit coin or yet one more stable coin or whatever. And it's just, it's sad that human the human species is locked in this death grip of never ever moving forward as a species because our greed has literally shackled us to what my dad used to call your iron, right? He's like, he's like, don't ever have a lot of possessions because you get shackled to your iron. The iron being very heavy things that you have to move if you want to just go. My dad always said the happiest he ever was was when he was unmarried, had no kids, had nothing but a suitcase and a convertible car. And he could go anywhere. And he did for a little while. And then he got a job. And then he got married. And then he got kids. But, you know, all of these things are, you know, kids and kids and wife are good. But houses, if you're going to stay, if you're going to plan to stay in it for a very long time, those are good. But if you fill your house with a bunch of shit and you have to move, everything becomes very, very difficult. We've shackled ourselves to that type of thing when it comes to greed. I don't expect altcoins to just one day go away. I wish they would, but it's not going to happen. So we're going to have to like men- just get into a mental space where you just have to coexist with this shit. You don't have to like them, and you sure as shit shouldn't buy them, and you sure as and you sure as hell should tell anybody that you know to stay as far away from them as you possibly can. But to wish them away or think that this is the final flush, don't bet on it. Okay, so. Getting back to why we're here in the first place, a house sold in Portugal for three Bitcoin in the country's first ever direct transaction, Namcios reporting for Bitcoin Magazine. An apartment in Braga, Portugal was sold for three BTC on Thursday for the first ever real estate sale directly and entirely made in Bitcoin, local news outlet Idealista Uh, reported the feat was possible thanks to new rules that became effective last month setting the directives as to how homeowners and real estate agents could sell properties for cryptocurrency directly before the rules someone buying a house with bitcoin in portugal had to first convert it to euros at the time of purchase in order to do the transaction and receive the house deed quote This deed represents a historic milestone, the transfer of a digital asset to a physical asset, a house, without any conversion to euros, said real estate company Zome, according to the report, which participated in the sale in conjunction with a group of lawyers and other partners. This doesn't have to be this hard. A group of lawyers to sell a house? It's ridiculous. The sale of real estate for Bitcoin has recently gathered popularity across different parts of the world. In November, Latin American property technology prop tech market leader La House uh, announced it would start accepting BTC as payment for homes on-chain and on-lightning through the integration with Bitcoin payment processor OpenNode. La House sold its first property for Bitcoin two months later as it bridged the purchase of an apartment in Mexico for 5.78 BTC. The company sold yet another property for Bitcoin in the following month, the first one in Colombia. In late April... Dubai, United Arab Emirates-based luxury real estate developer DMAC property said it would soon begin accepting Bitcoin payments for the sale of real estate in the region. The move represented the latest major push in the UAE to establish itself as a welcoming region for the fostering of cryptocurrency businesses and services. 
Portugal is also joining the competition among nations that seek to invite Bitcoin companies and enthusiasts to foment its economy. In addition to the latest rules enabling direct Bitcoin purchases of real estate, the country is known for exempting cryptocurrency investors from capital gains taxes. So there we have it in Portugal. Now we're across the pond in Portugal. First ever house sold directly for Bitcoin. It just saddens me that they had to have a team of lawyers to execute a sale for Bitcoin. Are you serious? I guess they're just, I guess everybody's just trying to cover their ass. Uh, soon, I'm sure that, you know, a mortgage company will just get together with a real estate agent and the buyer and the seller and the whole thing will happen without, you know, a room full of lawyers. Well, you know, one, one can only hope. Now, Central African banks have scolded the Central African region for Bitcoin adoption. Sorry, Central African Republic for Bitcoin adoption. So the central banks piling on to Central African uh, Republic for, you know, I don't know, wanting to not be poor forever. Cointelegraph, Joseph Hall, the governor of the bank of Central African states or Banque des Etats de l'Afrique Centrale, or God, that's hard to say, man, has issued a scathing, it's scathing, ladies and gentlemen, letter to the Central African Republic regarding the country's adoption of cryptocurrencies. In a letter addressed to the car finance minister, Herve Naboba, governor of the BEAC, Abbas Mahmoud Holy, describes the substantial negative impact that the car adopting crypto will have on the monetary union of Central Africa. The CAR passed a bill announcing its intention to adopt cryptocurrencies in April. It is no surprise that the International Monetary Fund has already called the decision concerning, but now the Central African or the Bank of Central Bank of Central Africa is adding fuel to the fire. The BIAC also adds that the adoption of cryptocurrency in the CAR and the potential move away from the CFA currency is problematic. The CFA currency has Two near-identical forms used across former French colonies in Central and West Africa. It's pegged to the euro, which many Bitcoin uh, Bitcoiners and locals dislike. Glory, the founder of Kive Claire, a Bitcoin beach-inspired re- refugee project in neighboring Congo, told Coin Telegraph that the CFA makes whole countries dependent. Mama Bitcoin, the first person in Senegal to accept Bitcoin as payment, told Cointelegraph that the CFA is made in France and is, for want of a better word, colonial money, end quote. Naturally, the governor of the BEAC is keen to cling to the CFA. He understands the threat that the car adopting Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies poses. The letter states, quote, this law suggests that its main objective is to establish a Central African currency beyond the control of the BEAC that would compete with or displace the legal currency in force in the CEMAC and jeopardize monetary stability. Oh, losing control. End quote. The Economic Community of Central African States uh, promotes regional economic cooperation in Central Africa. Supporting the BEAC is the primary objective of the CEMAC, of which Governor Tolley is, of course, the head. Alex Gladstein, Chief Strategy Officer at the Human Rights Foundation and a regular Cointelegraph contributor, shared that, quote, establishing a Central African currency beyond the control of the BEAC is precisely the strategy the car is taking. <laughs> the car is the second country to adopt Bitcoin worldwide, following El Salvador's increasingly successful strategy to adopt the largest cryptocurrency. El Salvador has also drawn criticism from large institutions and governments from the United States to the IMF. In Central Africa, the governor's letter concludes with a plea to restore strict compliance with the rulings of the Monetary Union of Central Africa. Nonetheless, at the time of writing, the crypto law remains firmly in place. Jesus. I'm going to switch it up and I'm going to read this, this one next. Hold on here. Uh, yeah, no, not that one. Hold on. Yeah, this one really does need to come back because now we're going to talk about Argentina's central bank. 
and they've banned lenders from offering crypto services. So the full headline is Argentina Central Bank bans lenders from offering crypto services. Andreas uh, Engler is writing it for Coindesk. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me, pardon me, it's Monday. <clears throat> the Central Bank of the Argentine Republic announced Thursday afternoon that it has barred banks in the country from facilitating for clients the use of crypto assets. The BCRA statement says banks are prohibited from offering services for any digital asset not regulated by the central bank. And since there currently are no digital assets thus regulated, the move amounts to a de facto ban. Quote, the measure ordered by the BCRA's board of directors seeks to mitigate the risks associated with transactions with these assets that could be generated for users of financial services and for the financial system as a whole. The statement said the announcement comes just days after Banco Galicia, the largest Argentinian private bank by market value, added the option to buy and sell cryptocurrencies on its platform. Also this week, domestic digital bank Brewbank began offering similar services. A source close to the matter told Coindesk that as of Friday, banks should no longer be offering customers the ability to buy and sell crypto. And here it is, people. In March, Argentina and the International Monetary Fund each approved a debt package of $45 billion that included a provision discouraging the use of cryptocurrencies. And that's it. That's it. I don't think that that's what's causing the price of Bitcoin. I I still think it's internal market manipulation from a bunch of whales who are using game theory and, you know, externalized game theory to be able to put pressure on the entire market. I don't think it's this. But what I do think about this is that I'm not a big poker player. I, I, I don't actually, I'm not a poker player at all. I don't play poker. I don't go to Vegas and I don't sit at tables and I don't put money in a pot where I'm going to probably lose it because I suck at poker. I don't play it and I won't play it because I, I just don't want it to take the time to get good at it. Not poker. I mean, I got better things to do with my time, bro. But there's a lot of people that are very, very, very good at poker. And you, you know, you can't swing a dead cat in a room without hitting a movie, you know, in your life of something, you know, about poker like rounders or something like that with Matt Damon. So it does become obvious that um, poker players have a tell. And if you play poker with somebody, I mean, if you go, if you, I have watched poker, like the world championship of poker, and it's like watching like, like seven rocks sitting around a table, basically playing poker because they have no expressions on their face. They don't, they almost don't do anything and they're guarding against any kind of tell. That tell is if somebody's holding a really good hand and also a tell if you are back, your back is up against the wall and you're about to shit the bed, right? Maybe it's a twitch of the eye. Maybe it's like in rounders where how the guy broke apart his Oreo cookies, you know, how, and how you even pick up on a tell is beyond my reckoning. But this one's a tell for the IMF. They're holding shit. I can tell they're holding shit. Their hand, they have a handful of shit. They have no hand, in fact. There, it's just the river has gone against them in, like, you know, poker parlance. That's the, the river cards that the uh, 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 dealer lays down, and then you play off those cards. They got nothing. They can't, the, the river cards have spoken, and the IMF is holding nothing. So they're forcing Argentina to do this de facto ban in return for a 45, they call it here, a, a, a debt package of $45 billion. It's a loan. Just say it what it is. Just call it what it is, man. It's a loan, a $45 billion loan. Argentina's economy has been in the shitter since coming out of the 1950s, and it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And they've taken multiple loans, and they never do anything except get Argentina more and more indebted to world sized organizations like the International Monetary Fund and the World Economic Forum and the UN and anybody else like fucking UNICEF. I don't know, man. I mean, they're just, Argentina is like literally one of the most over leveraged countries in the world, much less in Latin America. 
and now the leverage is going to be working against their neighbors because Argentina just days after their two massive banks said yes, the Argentinian central bank said no because there's a provision in this loan that they have to discourage cryptocurrency usage. If that's not a tell of just how shitty of a hand they're holding, I don't know what is. So what comes next? Latin America needs to lead the way and Central African Republic needs to stay strong. El Salvador's neighbors need to start adopting Bitcoin. The pre, if we can, it's just like shorting the market. Okay. If you're shorting Bitcoin, first of all, fuck you and you're going to die. But second of all, you're going to do it by constantly selling and constantly selling. You're shorting, you're shorting, you're shorting, you're shorting. You can do this with anything. You can do it with Tesla, Netflix. It doesn't matter. If you have the money and you've got the patience, you can short shit into the ground, right? The same thing is true for something like the International Monetary Fund. If Honduras just says, you know what, we're legal tender. El Salvador or Venezuela says, you know, legal tender. God forbid if Mexico says legal tender, but that one's probably farther off than we may really want to think about. It's going to be the smaller Latin American countries. If they keep doing it and they keep doing it, especially especially countries that share borders so that there's a direct line of communication of Bitcoin economies between the countries and they only have to go over that one border, right? If, if El Salvador's neighbors, all of them, I think there's, I think they share three borders and then a border with the Atlantic ocean or the Pacific ocean. Um, if, if all of them, if all of them fall, the IMF is really going to start freaking out. And if you can't tell how bad their hand is right now, it's going to be very evident if that shit happens. The IMF is holding nothing. They have, they can only put pressure so much upon governments that can actually do physical enforcement. And that's, they have no military. The IMF doesn't have their own police force. They have Essentially, they have no jurisdiction anywhere in the world to dictate anything, yet they do through putting pressure on a country's central bank by giving them a loan. And then they leverage that country's military, police force, and jurisdictional access. That's how this shit works. And if more and more potential access pipelines shut down, then the IMF is like Europe and will freeze in the dark the next coming winter. Let's move on to, oh no, you know what? We got to run the numbers. Oh, let your hearts not be troubled. CNBC.com futures and commodities confirms the suspicion. We are not alone, ladies and gentlemen, in this market sell-off. Everything is moving this way. Everything, everything is going down, man. Let's start with flammable liquids getting quenched, but they're still high prices. Uh, West Texas Intermediate down almost three points to $106.50. Brenton North Sea is down two and uh, two thirds to $109.39. Natural gas is down 6.3%, but it's still $7.53 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline down almost a full point, $3.72 a gallon. Shiny metal rocks getting melted down. Gold down over a point to $1,862. Silver down almost two points to $21.96. Platinum is down 2.6%. Copper is down 2.3%. Palladium is down 1.2%. Agricultural futures are mostly down. Biggest winner today, you guessed it, cotton. And right behind it, wheat. Uh, cotton, by the way, up almost, actually a little bit over two points. Wheat is up almost a full point. Biggest loser of the day is coffee, down 3.2%. Uh, Dow, down 1.17%. S&P, down one and a half. NASDAQ, down one and a half. S&P mini, down one and one third. And real money, of course, is having its problems. $32,875. 
we have had 3.17 million BTC change hands in the last 24 hours. That's 132,000 BTC every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 13.92 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.015 or about 505 bucks. Block times are great, 10 minutes and four seconds. Apparently there's not a whole lot of shifting going on in mining. What do they know? What do the miners know? 0.09 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. 13.19 BTC taken overall in the last 24 hours. And with a slight increase of 0.43% in hash rate, we are up to 226.25 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator pretty much tells the story for the altcoins across the board. Dogecoin at 11.7 United States pennies. 10,323 Bitcoin transactions are awaiting seven blocks to clear. The goal or the uh, market cap is $628.6 billion, which is 5.12% of gold's entire market cap. And now we are really distressed that we can only buy 17.7 ounces of shiny metal rock with our one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,034,904.68 of. And 3,771 of those are locked in the Lightning Network valued at a mere $124.5 million being run over 16,968 nodes. And we've increased our channel uh, channel capacities by, well, well, our number of channels to 83,224. And it's 72.9% of all of it's being run over the 11,867 associated Tor nodes, or at least the ones that we know about. And that's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news you can use. SEC fines NVIDIA $5.5 million for not disclosing crypto mining impact on gaming business. Uh, this is an example of external game theory. You put pressure on the manufacturers by fining them for not saying something. I mean, honestly, this seems a little overblown, but let's find out more from Stacey Elliott out of Decrypt.co. The SEC has reached a $5.5 million settlement with NVIDIA for failing to disclose the impact of cryptocurrency mining on its gaming business in two quarterly filings in 2018. Quote, without admitting or denying the SEC's findings, NVIDIA agreed to a cease and desist order and to pay $5.5 million in penalty reads a release from the SEC. <clears throat> NVIDIA started mentioning crypto mining and its impact on its original equipment manufacturer business as early as August of 2017. Quote, our PC OEM revenue increased by approximately 200% due primarily to strong demand for C GPU products targeted for use in cryptocurrency mining, NVIDIA wrote in its quarterly filing for that three months ending on July 30th, 2017, noting that revenue for its GeForce GPU products in particular had increased 90% because of their popularity among crypto miners. But the company had not mentioned that its gaming business had also benefited from popularity among crypto miners. Quote, NVIDIA's disclosure fails or failures deprived investors of critical information to evaluate the company's business in a key market. All issuers, including those that pursue opportunities involving emerging technology, must ensure that their disclosures are timely, complete, and accurate, said Christina Littman, the SEC's cyber unit chief. In 2018, NVIDIA's GeForce GTX 580, which was marketed for gamers, had become popular among crypto miners, but the company was still dubious of crypto mining's impact on its sales. In November that year, after the demand for the graphic cards had dropped, NVIDIA CEO Jensen Huang said it was impossible to know how much of its hardware was being used by miners. Quote, my point is that we just don't know. When we're going through what we see as our sales and what the percentage of Bitcoin is in our own sales, what we don't know is how much inventory AMD pushed into the channel, he told VentureBeat. There's no way for us to calculate that. I'm going to pause right there. NVIDIA has nothing to do with Bitcoin. Okay, be very brutally clear 
NVIDIA does not make anything that can be used for Bitcoin. They used to before ASIC mining became the, the de facto standard for Bitcoin mining. There was a brief period when there was GPUs that could be uh, used and harnessed for Bitcoin mining, but it did not last. ASICs came on the heels of GPU mining uh, very, very quickly and surpassed it almost immediately. And ever since then, we haven't mined a single Bitcoin with a graphic processing unit in years, ladies and gentlemen. This guy doesn't know anything about his businesses, his, well, his, his entire industry. Okay. He doesn't know anything about his entire industry connection to Bitcoin and the, and the other, the, and the shit coins, the crypto industry, right? I can tell because he used the percentage of Bitcoin, right? He was like, he was talking about the percentage of our GPUs being used for Bitcoin mining. Your GPUs are not used for Bitcoin mining, sir. And if you took you know, I don't know, five seconds to research that, you wouldn't say things like this. Only Ethereum and a whole host of other shit coins use GPU mining. Bitcoin hasn't touched it in over seven years, something like that. We haven't, we've been on ASICs for at least seven years as the 99.99% of crypto of uh, Bitcoin mining. Just saying. Now, let's con- keep that in mind, okay? When people say stupid shit like that, please correct them. Continuing on, in a quarterly report filed on May the 8th, 2018, for the three month ending April 29th that year, NVIDIA credited the increase in gaming revenue to esports. Quote, GPU business revenue was $2.77 billion, up 77% from a year earlier and up 12% sequentially, led by gaming and data center. The company wrote in an SEC filing, quote, gaming revenue was up 68% from a year ago and down 1% sequentially. Gaming GPU growth was fueled by demand from gamers playing esports, momentum of the battle royale genre, and AAA cinematic games. So there you go. It just, it, it's, I feel that this is like the SEC pulling an IMF where they're like, oh God, we've got to be able to nail them down on crypto because Bitcoin's going to eat our lunch and we can't let that happen. So somebody somewhere at some desk and, uh, you know, in some cubicle, find fucking something that we can find NVIDIA on. And what did they do? They, they found this. Now let's go back to that sentence or that, that paragraph where he was saying that he, he, there's no way to know what percentage of his GPUs are being used for mining, okay? Not for Bitcoin, for cryptocurrency mining, those shit coins that use GPU. He's actually technically correct. There's no way to know how much of the, the GPUs are being used for something other than its core industry, which is video graphics processing units for gaming and visualization shit. If I use a GPU to run mathematical communicate or mathematical calculations that are, have nothing to do with crypto, nothing to do with Bitcoin, and and nothing at all to do with like video processing or gaming or you know doing any kind of gaming, but I'm using it to simulate I don't know I don't, wind speeds uh, or, or turbulence on the tip of a windmill blade or something like that. He can't calculate how much GPU, how many of those GPUs that they sold are doing that. There's no real way to calculate unless you actually take a survey of your users and say, what are you going to be using it for? But are you really going to trust that? I wouldn't. I'm just saying he's actually, technically he's correct. And I think that the SEC is holding a shit hand, just like the IMF is holding a shit hand. So maybe it's our turn to do the shorting. Maybe it's our turn to put the pressure on. And I'm hoping that Honduras is the next country to actually adopt Bitcoin mining as, or Bitcoin as legal tender. Okay, number six, I believe, is what this is going to bring our number up to. SEC approves Valkyrie's Bitcoin futures ETF. Arnold Karimi is writing for Cointelegraph. Last month, the watchdog gave the thumbs up to Tecrium's Bitcoin futures ETF, which is the first such vehicle to be approved under the 
1933 Act. The United States Securities and Exchange Commission has given the green light to Valkyrie's futures exchange traded uh, application. This represents another ETF that has been approved by the SEC, which has previously accepted futures ETFs, but no sign of a spot ETF yet. Of course not, because they know people are going, they're, they're, they're providing game theory or externality, external game theory to put pressure on Bitcoin. They're doing this on purpose, ladies and gentlemen. According to the SEC document published on Thursday, the application was filed under the Securities Exchange Act of 1934 using a 19B-4 form, the same law that spot Bitcoin BT or uh, ETF prospects are relying on, albeit with little success thus far. Last month, the watchdog gave the thumbs up to tech to Creams Bitcoin Futures ETF, which is the first vehicle to be approved under the 1933 Act. First filed by Valkyrie in August of 2021, the Valkyrie XBTO Bitcoin Futures Funds tracks BTC futures contracts. The agency likewise, likewise gave the go-ahead to Bitcoin future ETS from ProShares and VanEck, but thus far denied all applications to establish a spot Bitcoin ETF. Several countries have Bitcoin ETFs, including Canada, Europe, and Latin America. The, <clears throat> the past year has seen a slew of applications for ETFs with several companies withdrawing their applications, such as Bitwise, which redirected attention to a spot fund instead. The funds have performed well thus far, although many people are hoping for greater success in the future with the introduction of a spot ETF. A recent NASDAQ poll found that a spot Bitcoin exchange traded fund may lead to more financial advisors adopting cryptocurrencies. According to Bloomberg analyst Eric Balchinus and James Seifert, in March, the SEC could accept a spot Bitcoin ETF as early as mid-2023 based on a proposed amendment to alter the definition of exchange within the regulator's rules. According to the survey by NASDAQ, however, only 38% of financial advisors thought it probable that the SEC would eventually approve a spot cryptocurrency ETF with 31% disagreeing. So we have another futures Bitcoin ETF. Yay! No, I don't like these things. They're out of balance without a spot, uh, without, a, uh, without their cousin, you know, their, their twin brother, the spot ETF. It's just, they're just loading it up on the side of being able to bet on the price. And what do you think happens? People start betting on the price. And the more you can bet on the price, the more you can affect the price. It's not hard. I mean, sometimes I call it market manipulation, but this is just, this is just, this just been playing out for, you know, hundreds of years. Bitcoin is not the first thing to have its price jacked with by a bunch of people with futures, future type ETFs or, or things that bet on the price. Derivative instruments is what I'm getting at. It's not the first one and it certainly won't be the last. But most other things actually have a, have a corollary spot to the commodity. Bitcoin is, they say it's a commodity, but it has more power than a commodity because it can actually be used as real money. And there's no consumption of Bitcoin. What I mean by that is gold can be a money, but it's consumed. Salt used to be a money a long time ago when we were still fighting wars over fucking salt. Salt was money, except that salt was also a food preservative and you had to actually use your money. So even though salt was plentiful at the ocean side, if you were deep in the interior of landlocked country in Europe, salt was not easy to come by at all. I mean, you didn't go to the store just to go get salt, right? No, salt was money. And we're talking like, we're talking way ancient history, by the way. It has been, you know, we're talking thousands of years, but it was used as money. But the fact that you had to consume it as well, that's, that's a problem, especially when you're not on the, at, at an ocean edge and being able to make all you want, right? Just saying. There's a lot of corollary to salt being used as money and money printing and, and how gold is used as, for jewelry, but also it's, it's used, it's used in industrial applications is kind of scarier because jewelry I can melt down. I, I'm going to keep my jewelry, 
But if you add up all the electroplating that's been done on all the electronics that have been thrown in landfills over all these years, that is gold that you're never, you could recover it, but it's such expense that nobody's ever going to. Just saying, I'm, I'm just saying. Without a spot Bitcoin ETF, we do not have balance in the markets on these derivative instruments. And until a spot Bitcoin ETF occurs, that, that'll remain out of balance. So just, you know, again, if you're new here and this is going to be your first ride on, ride on the roller coaster to the downside, buckle up because it can get nasty. Anyway, why Bitcoin works for Latin America. Let's do this one. Uh, Nico Atuna Cooper is writing it for Bitcoin Magazine. With El Salvador's recent transition to making Bitcoin legal tender, people are beginning to take the cryptocurrency more seriously. One important consideration about President Nayib Bukele's incorporation of Bitcoin into the country is the ability to solve numerous issues unique to Latin American economies and markets, namely the issue of trust. While Bitcoin's usefulness as a technology and investment vehicle is clear to market participants in the United States and other English-speaking economies, Bitcoin has special relevance to the people of Latin America. This is due to numerous social, cultural, and historical precedents not necessarily shared or fully understood by those outside of the region. Understanding those topics and their implications for investment strategies is crucial for anyone looking for asymmetric advantages among English-speaking investors. This is simply because these elements are not fully understood or written about outside of Latin America or even in languages other than Spanish, period. Indeed, many of these concepts are taken for granted by those who live there, thus not even making them newsworthy. This is inside information the average American is lacking, information which makes Bitcoin a smart decision for anyone betting on the future of Latin America. Latin America, and I certainly am betting on the future of Latin America. Without a doubt, Latin America is one of the final frontiers of serious economic development left in the world, and it's attracting money fast. Atlantico reported a $18.6 billion investment into the region through the end of 2021, a staggering 250% increase in investments when compared to $5.3 billion deployed in 2020. Those looking for outsized investment opportunities have flocked to developing economies and stock markets for decades, but the stage is set for advancing growth in this part of the world now more than ever. Bitcoin offers unique advantages over foreign stock portfolios for several reasons. One advantage is that Bitcoin is sound, unconfiscatable money that acts more like a bearer asset than a market fund or stock portfolio. Indeed, Bitcoin is currently outgrowing the phrase cryptocurrency with its ever-growing functionality, incorporating benefits that resemble stocks, currency, and bearer assets like gold all at the same time. It is quickly becoming its own unique asset class. There is not one centralized authority that can control, stop, confiscate, or inflate Bitcoin. Instead, the system is distributed among millions of participants across the earth, making it trustless. An excellent resource on societal differences in trust is Aaron Mayer's The Culture Map. A must-read for anyone doing cross-cultural businesses. <clears throat> As an international business consultant, Mayer points out important differences between Latin American and United States-based firms that go well beyond corporate culture. They go straight to the core of interpersonal relations. Mayer describes how trust between business associates differs dramatically from one culture to another. She outlines the difference between cognitive trust and affective trust. Quote, cognitive trust is based on the confidence you feel in another person's accomplishments, skills, and reliability. This is trust that comes from the head. It is often built through business interactions. We work together, you do your work well, and you demonstrate through the work that you are reliable, pleasant, consistent, intelligent, and transparent. Result, I trust you. Effective trust, on the other hand, arises from feelings of emotional closeness, empathy, or friendship. This type of trust comes from the heart. We laugh together, relax together, and see each other at a personal level so that I feel affection or empathy for you and sense that you feel the same for me. Result, I trust you. End quote. Countries in Latin, American function, or countries in Latin America function more 
on an effective trust paradigm. Mayer explains that because of very low faith in institutions in the legal system, residents of these societies need a sense of personal trust in their associates before working together. In comparison to the lawsuit happy-ass United States, many Latin Americans have good reason to believe that if they are jilted in a deal, there will be no legal recourse to get their money back. As such, personal references and bonding are important in a way that the average American just doesn't understand. In fact, this is the opposite of the United States where business is business. In the words of Mayer, in lower trust societies, business is personal. As a result, this creates a, a slowdown in many processes. Add this to Latin Americans, Latin America's stunning record of central bank hyperinflations and widespread political corruption, and you would be a lot slower to trust it too. Bitcoin is important in Latin America because it takes large institutions, governments, powerful corporations, and central banks out of the picture and allows direct, instant, peer-to-peer -peer transactions between individuals and businesses alike. The implications of this are huge. There's a reason that Bukele, president of a country with hyperinflation so severe that they just gave up on having their own money at all, has instituted Bitcoin as national currency. It solves the trust factor that Latin Americans know so well of all their life savings becoming worthless in a matter of months. Yes, Bitcoin has volatility, but no volatility so extreme as that of the Venezuelan Bolivar, the Argentine Peso, the Mexican Peso, or indeed the Salvadoran Cologne over the past few decades. In a volatile environment, people seek out solutions that deprioritize trust in outside institutions and maximize trust in trusted personal transactions. With Bitcoin, there's no middlemen, government or otherwise, to get in the way of said transaction. Just imagine when smart contracts go live in earnest on the Liquid Network, and you will see for the first time an enforcement of contracts that is only enabled in the U.S. by our trusted court and police systems. These will incur economic, encourage economic development and opportunity that has been stifled for so many years in Latin America. These are guaranteed contracts built on the hardest money ever created. This is a cultural difference that gives dimension of value to Bitcoin that few in the U.S. can even comprehend. They are not factoring that into their Bitcoin price predictions. This is not even to mention the utility of being able to move money across borders with safety and ease, another common Latin American business requirement that most Americans don't account for. A trustless transactional system built on sound money that cannot be reversed, confiscated, or inflated away fixes the fundamental ob obstacles to widespread Latin American economic development. Latin America is a powerhouse of industry with over half a billion consumers and rich natural resources. However, because of complex economic obstacles, it has not yet been able to fulfill its potential on a global scale. We are quite possibly on the edge of seeing that potential fulfilled and experiencing a type of growth that has not been witnessed in our lifetimes. If Bitcoin becomes the new gold standard for the entire region's economic development, do you want to be late to that party? No, I do not, Nico. No, I, I really don't. I am starting to really appreciate more than I ever have Latin America. And not just because of this, but this did teach me something that I was, it's not that I wasn't aware of it. It was, I just never really looked at it. I never really looked at what, what is trust? What is it? We've been, you know, many of us that have been in this space, uh, and I'm going to say this space for years, you know, one of the very first things that we were tasked to do is to figure out what the hell money really is. And if you haven't gone down that, that hole, that means you're really new here because that is one of the very first things that Bitcoiners end up doing is like, shit, I wish that I had been taught all this in high school, but you know, in the United States, no, that wasn't going to, that wasn't going to happen. It just wasn't. So you had to find out what money was. And when you find out what money is, you're like, oh God, I can't that. And then everything you've realized that everything is a lie in the modern world and has been for a few centuries at least. It's just lie after lie after lie. And it all boils down to when you finally see what money really is, the way that we think about it today, 
and how it works and how it's created and who gets it first and who gets it last, you can't unsee the lie that you've been born into. And it's so sad and it hurts a lot when you figure it out. But God, there's hope because there's Bitcoin. And there's also hope because there's Latin America. Americans have been conditioned in our heads to hate Mexicans. Took their jobs. Well, they're yeah, they're going to take your jobs. And I'm not even going to I'm not even going to parrot the 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 democratic, you know, left-wing liberal, you know, party ball here and say they're doing the jobs that nobody else wants to do. I'm sure there's elements of that, but they're just trying to escape a very unfortunate situation that's going on in Latin America. And guess who's at fault? United States is one of them. Europe's one of the other ones. Australia ain't helping. Canada, not helping either. And we're doing it by the these constructions of central banks that leverage the armies, police force, and jurisdictions of countries to do their bidding in exchange for cheap fiat money. It's not even cheap. It's free for these guys. They just print it now. They don't care. But they will hold that shit as a $45 billion loan over Argentina, and they will force them to, quote unquote, not use Bitcoin. And if somebody in Argentina does and they get caught, do you think it's the IMF police force that's actually going to do the arresting? No. Do you think it's going to be the military that takes down a whole bunch, the IMF military that takes down a whole bunch of Bitcoin mining places in Argentina? No. Do you think it's going to be the IMF judges that determine jurisdiction and whether or not somebody can go to prison for what they've done? No. So how the hell is the IMF controlling a military branch, a police force, and a jurisdictional branch without actually having any of that shit themselves. They're outsourcing it for a loan. They've been doing this to Latin America for years. Nobody saw it. Nobody cared. Now that there are some rumblings of Bitcoin being adopted as legal tender in Latin America, IMF suddenly blinks. And the minute the IMF blinked on Thursday, the minute that that shit occurred, it was all written on the wall. Latin America is probably one of the most important geographical locations on the face of the planet right now. I'm going to separate Mexico out of that. Okay, just because they've been really jacked up by the United States and Canada and trying to adopt our policies in the way that we do shit. And they've actually done a pretty good job to the point that their system is just as corrupt as ours, except their money is is second class compared to the United States dollar at the time. No, everything south of Mexico, including Argentina with this even with this bullshit IMF crap going on, everything south of Mexico is the most important geographical location on the face of the planet when it comes to what is a future economy going to look like. The same thing can be said for Africa, the entire continent of Africa, except that there's not as much, we got the Central African Republic that adopted Bitcoin. We got to see if another, if another country does it. If another country in Africa does it, or they start circulating bills because right after El Salvador did this, one of the things that you saw before anybody got their, you know, their tackle standing up on the back of their neck is that a whole bunch of senators from other countries and a whole bunch of policymakers from other countries in Latin America started circulating bills. They started releasing drafts of here's what ours would look like. Here's what ours would look like. I haven't seen anything like that in Africa yet. Not yet. Not, not at scale. That's what I'm looking for in Africa. If that shit starts happening at scale, then I'm going to breathe a much bigger sigh of relief. Right now, I'm kind of on pins and needles about what's going on with CAR, Central African Republic, and the response to the obviously European-controlled central bank that is the African or the continent of Africa's Central African region's central bank. They're freaking out, and they should be. We live in these really weird times. Just... Be prepared, okay? Be prepared. 
That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to go ahead and end this one now. Uh, I want to remind everybody that this weekend is Texas Slim and Mary Cares Bone Broth Challenge brought to you by the Beef Initiative. That is the Beef Initiative. You can go find out more at beefinitiative.com. What's a bone broth challenge? For 48 hours, you consume nothing but bone broth. At least as far as I can tell, there's no food. Um, I'm assuming you can drink water along with it. But uh, you got to, it would be better instead of going to buy beef bone broth that you learn how to make your own and do it by Friday because Friday is the day of the challenge. I've already got my like, I think I've got like five or six uh, beef marrow bones that I'm going to turn into bone broth uh, this week. So I'll be ready for Friday. But again, the bone broth challenge, what is it supposed to do? According to Mary Claire, it resets a lot of shit and not just in in your metabolism. Apparently, it resets your mental state and a whole bunch of other things. And I'm going to try it. I'm going to give it a shot, man, because it's like, you know, life is too short not to do something that might help, can't hurt, and is probably pretty damn tasty. Life's too short not to do it. Life's too short not to take part of this. So beefinitiative.com, Mary Care MD. She is a functional medicine doctor in Dallas has kind of partnered up with Texas Slim, AKA at Modern T-Man on Twitter. Uh, If you want to join us in the bone broth, I don't know if he's got, if Texas Slim has a uh, hashtag for it. Um, Look for, I don't know, hashtag bone broth challenge and and see. And if, if there's just nothing going on, then figure out a hashtag for it. But I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.